Cool. Hey guys, how are we? Happy Easter. Thanks. Um, so, hey, uh, my name is Seth, and I'm the lead minister here at Echo Church. So glad to see um, some familiar faces and some new faces uh, here this morning. So we are in the third week of our series called Let the, Li- Let the River Roll, where we are exploring elements of justice and how they might be explained through Jesus starting his public ministry. And the last couple of weeks, we've been listening to some of the stories in the book of Luke uh, leading up to that point. So two weeks ago, Steve taught us about Jesus and really started the, the thing off and, and uh, about his baptism by John the Baptist. And this was an important time because the power of the Holy Spirit fell on Jesus during this time. And then last week, Kelly taught us about Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where uh, Jesus was tempted by Satan. And of course, this was important because it strengthened Jesus as he was heading into his ministry and ultimately into his call as our Lord and Savior and the promised Messiah. And that is where we pick up this story this week. So Jesus has had these two things happen, and then he is traveling through Galilee preaching, and he's on his way to his hometown of Nazareth. And people are starting to talk about him. He's been doing a little bit of teaching after emerging from the wilderness, and according to Luke, his reputation for being a powerful teacher is taking shape even before he recruits any disciples. So he's preaching in Galilee. And this is one of those stories that's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, which I think is pretty significant. Um, And Luke's account is interesting because he's bringing to light the social implications um, of Jesus' message and his teachings. And so in a series on justice, when we're talking about what that word means and also its implications on the way uh, that we live a life following Jesus, it becomes, I think, one of the more important stories in the text of the Bible. And so the way we're going to talk about this today happens in three parts. Number one is this, Jesus knows who he is. And the second thing is that Jesus reveals his mission and that he leans into his calling. And then the third part is that he doesn't let anyone or anything impede his mission. So like I said, we're in the book of Luke. We are in chapter 4. And we're going to start with verses 14 and 15. And it says this, Jesus returned to Galilee and the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He is the Messiah. He is God's chosen person to carry out the rescue mission for his people. And after being baptized and tempted in the wilderness by Satan, he becomes fairly certain that it's time to go out and start this public ministry. And his life, the miracles, the boldness of his preaching are just a few ways that he starts to convince people that he's someone to be listened to. A couple of weeks ago, Steve mentioned the genealogy presented in Luke, being there to sort of legitimize Jesus. And this is important because it's really Luke's whole reason for writing this book in the first place. In the beginning of the book of Luke, it says this, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, which is fun to say. 
so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Again, it's important to keep in mind that while continuing to read through the stories in this book, his intent is to express his firm belief that these things we are reading are true. And I think all of this lines up to testify that not only does Jesus know he's the Messiah, but clearly it's something Luke is convinced of too. Otherwise, why write the book? Another thing that we can focus on is the fact that Luke says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. That baptism and those 40 days in the wilderness serve as his time of sort of like a spiritual comeuppance. He's ready to go do this. And we'll talk about this here in a few minutes, but this time empowers him with enough boldness that his messages are striking a different tone with the people that are listening to him and that eventually start to follow him. Secondly, Luke says that Jesus' fame is is growing. Now, I don't really think this is the type of thing that Jesus gets too worked up about or cares about all that much. But people in Galilee certainly know who he is. As a matter of fact, his reputation is so sterling um, that even before he started his his ministry, uh, preached a word from the law or performed a miracle, one of these commentaries that I was reading preparing for this message mentioned that he was known around his hometown as the perfect man. So it's not only that people know who he is, he's also like bringing down the house with these messages that he's preaching as he's going through Galilee. But it's important to know here that he's not yet made the claim of being the Messiah. But it's coming. And that brings up the second point of the message. Jesus understands his purpose. This is Luke 4, 16 uh, through 22. And um, Jesus is at this synagogue, right, in Nazareth. And as one of the rabbis there that day, he decides that he wants to preach which is a thing that you do at the time of Jesus. So if you want to say something and you're qualified, you stand up and they're like, come on up, you can, you can talk. And so everyone's there and it's the Sabbath and there are probably some other people there who are speaking that day. But after a few readings, Jesus decides that he's going to stand up and it gives the officials in charge the indication that he'd like to officiate part of this service. So it happens that way. The attendant in charge of bringing out sections of scripture approaches Jesus, and this would have been a huge spectacle because there's lots of reverence around the scripture and the scrolls, and when Jesus decides he wants to preach, he's handed this scroll, and he unfurls it. And he finds parts uh, that we have numbered, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I don't know if Jesus like knew that he was going to get this portion of the text to read that day, Uh, but knowing what happens next, like it would have been a huge coincidence otherwise. Um, kind of leads me to believe that it was supposed to happen this way. Um, so Jesus uses two words in this text that, that I want to focus in on from, from Isaiah 61. And the first word that we can focus on is the word freedom. So he says freedom. And when he uses the word freedom, 
during his sermon, it would have evoked a very specific emotion tied to some very specific things um, that happened for, for the Israelites, which would have caused people to think about the year of Jubilee, which is something that he mentions. He talks about the year of the Lord's favor. And the year of Jubilee is this year celebrated on the Jewish calendar when all the slaves are released, all debts are canceled, and any land that was sold is returned back to the families. And this is done because it symbolizes God's justice and mercy. And so effectively what Jesus is doing is he's inserting himself into this narrative as God planned it. And he's about to let the people know who are listening that he has come to set them free. The second word I want to focus on is the word poor. What would be good news to you if you were poor? That you have everything you need? You have abundance, freedom, good health? Maybe your debts are canceled? (laughs) Maybe your family gets their land back? Like, yeah, those same sort of things that the word of freedom and the year of Jubilee would, would indicate. Those same things are the things that people are thinking about that day. But who are the poor? I think many of us think about, at least I do, when I think about the poor, I think about material poverty. And particularly when we hear this word applied to people. However, that's not the full scope of the meaning of the word. The Jewish community listening that day would have thought of these things also. They would have thought of people of low social status. Women, children people with disabilities, the elderly, people of different ethnic groups, people who needed to be redeemed because they previously made bad life choices. On and on. Different things, right? And and I think most of us can relate to something on that list, whether it's specifically that list or something else you're thinking of right now. A lot of us can relate to what it feels like maybe to be spiritually poor or broken or having a tough time in our life that we need to we need help getting, you know, uh, getting over those kind of things, right? Um, so those are the categories. Freedom and the poor. He talks about these things. And that's the context, right? So he reads this passage to them. Then he rolls up this scroll and he hands it to the attendant. And he turns around and he sits down in front of them. And everybody's eyes are fixed on him when he says this. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the people listening are floored. Like, they don't even know what to do with it. Their initial reaction, this is clearly good news. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Clearly good news. And they'd heard about this Jesus who was barnstorming Galilee with his powerful messages, and he's inspiring them, and Things are going really well in the congregation until somebody goes, hey man, isn't that Joseph's son? One person. One person is a skeptic. One person says the opposite of what other people are thinking and then it starts to slowly build over the crowd. The skepticism takes over. And Jesus starts to sense it. So he stands back up and he says this, surely... You will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. 
I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Basically what he's doing is he's pushing back against the demands from the crowd uh, to prove himself. If he is the Messiah, they want to see the evidence right there in his hometown. So he talks about these these prophets, Elijah and Elisha, who are similarly, but not exclusively, sent to non-Jewish communities to minister to them. And effectively what Jesus has just done is that he's made the statement that the justice he has been sent to carry, carry out, will not only be for Israel, but for everyone. And the people listening that day, they're not happy about it. They're not happy about what they're hearing. They thought they had a good beat on this. They thought they knew the way things were going to go. The skepticism takes over the crowd, and they can't handle it. And that brings me to my third point. Jesus will not tolerate any impediment towards fulfilling his purpose. And this is Luke 4, 28 through 30. What they decide to do basically is run him out of the synagogue to the edge of town where there's a cliff with a steep drop off and their intention is to throw him off the cliff to kill him. Seems like an overreaction. But when you come in claiming to be the Messiah, they see it as blasphemy and and they're just not happy about it. This is what the text says. Uh, All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. (laughs) I mean, this whole thing could have been over real quick. And somehow he makes it out of this angry mob and he goes on his way. Man, I don't even know how he makes it out of there. Like, did he shapeshift? Did he, you know, did he like don a hood and moonwalk out of there? Like those are the things I like to think that Jesus was able to do. But somehow he makes it out of there. And I don't know how he did it, but man, I'm glad he did. So I can't, I can't help but like read this story and think about Easter. <laughs> because from a literary perspective, there's some pretty serious foreshadowing that's taking place here, right? Um... Because, you know, like, in this instance, he escapes death, and soon he's about to defeat it. And I think there's something to be said to us about how clearly Jesus knows and understands his purpose and his vision for his life. And it makes me wonder if we know truly how God feels about and cares for us. So Jesus knows who he is. Do we know who we are? Do we understand our purpose? I think these can be difficult questions to answer when we think about our place in the world. I think the concept of purpose can be especially challenging because there are just so many things out there that cloud our perspective these days. And I think knowing and understanding our purpose has become this confused sort of thing. And we can really get bogged down in the details about what God's purpose is for our life when we're asking, like, should we do this thing or that thing or go down this road or that road or should I live in this place or that place or take this job or that job or 
just the multitude of issues that we come up with that we want to categorize as our purpose. Now, I certainly think God has gifted us in unique ways, and it's important to lean into those gifts. Um, However, I also think that there's a a wisdom in building a firm foundation on a very simple uh, understanding of faith and and some of these basic concepts. So um, what I want to share with you is this passage in Colossians 3 that I really like, and I believe that it can help us when considering these questions. And it says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And all over these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. We are children of God, chosen, holy, and dearly loved. Enough so that Jesus gives up his life for our benefit. How far are you willing to go to make sure that he's glorified? Paul, letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, 5 through 8. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross." John 3.30, he must become greater, I must become less. Die to self. Be the embodiment of sacrificial love and justice that Jesus exemplifies with his life and ultimately his death. So at this time, I think it's appropriate for us to move into communion. And I'm going to have Dylan to come back up here, and he's going to play some music for us as we uh, pass the trays. But while we're doing this, and while this is happening, what I want us to consider is that day that they came to get Jesus. It started in Gethsemane, and one of his disciples decided to betray him. He stopped Peter from carrying out a plan of violence. He was tried by the Sanhedrin, then by Pilate. He picked up a cross and he carried it to the top of a hill where he was nailed to it. And then as God had planned, he died. So let's take this bread and this juice together today in remembrance and also thankfulness for what he did for us.